his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. The owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international depression. Mark Reardon. So in the words of my late friend Aretha Franklin, show some R-E-S-P-I-C-T. This is the Mark Reardon Show. Welcome to the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young sitting in today for the vacationing Mark Reardon. You know, today's President's Day, so lots of folks have the day off today. Unfortunately, I do not. I mean, not only do I not have the day off, which is okay, uh, but I had to work two jobs today. I had to go to my law firm job this morning, run my law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher, and Young here in St. Louis. So I did that. And now I'm coming in here and doing this. So God bless you if you got the day off. God bless you if you only have to work one job because I have to do two jobs today. But yeah, that's okay. That's all right. I've got a strong back and a loud voice. So I'm uh, I'm perfect for filling in for Mark uh, today. Of course, he'll be back in the saddle uh, tomorrow. Uh, Lord willing and the crick don't rise. But I'm glad that you are here with us today. We've got lots of stuff to cover, but uh, but speaking of President's Day, I, I want to talk about President's Day a little bit because I've got to tell you, my secret wish, well, before I get to my secret wish, when, when you think about President's Day, what product comes to mind that's typically, at least in years past, not so much today, but in years past, was typically on sale on President's Day? Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All the mattress sales, right? So on President's Day, for some reason, we would always have <clears throat> these mattress sales on President's Day. And my secret wish, so far uh, unfulfilled, is to see Bill Clinton doing a commercial for a mattress sale. I mean, think about all of the experience that Bill Clinton has had on a mattress. I mean, he would be the perfect, the perfect spokesperson for the National Mattress Association or the American Mattress Association, the AMA. And I wish I could do a Bill Clinton impression because I've got about five lines that just came to my mind that would be very funny. Uh, but since I can't do an impression of anybody except, well, <clears throat> except I can do a Sean Connery 
saying shaken, not stood. Uh, outside of that, that's all that I can do. I'm out. I've got no more impressions. So uh, I wish I could do a Bill Clinton because I could do a very good commercial of him selling uh, mattresses. But we'll have to wait for that for another day. But President's Day, I, I get easily distracted. But President's Day, it's been around for a long time. And it's supposed to honor the office and honor past presidents. It really doesn't have anything to do with who's currently in office. And, and, and that's a good thing. But as I think about the idea of President's Day, I, I think of George Washington because George Washington, he, he famously chose to retire after two terms. And he started this trend of presidents only serving two terms until FDR came around and thought that he should be in office for life, which is interesting because I remember my grandparents saying that that uh, they just thought FDR was always the president because he was in office for a long time. But but Washington started that that concept of having only two terms. And of course, it took an amendment to the Constitution to make sure that that happens again. But as I think about President's Day, what occurs to me is that the presidency has grown too large. The presidency has grown too powerful. And I'm not just saying this because Biden's in office. I felt this way uh, when Trump was in office, when Obama was in office, when Bush 43 was in office. This, this is not dependent on the person who sits in the Oval Office. This deals with the Oval Office itself. And just think about in the past two years, and I'm going to give Biden as an example because he's in office, but, but the problems with the presidency aren't just because Biden is in office. We could be talking about President DeSantis in 2024 or 2025, and my, my thoughts on this would be identical. But looking at, at, at President Biden, just think about this past couple of years. We had a president who, without any congressional authorization, tried to force everyone in America to, they, that if you worked for a company that had 100 employees or more, you must get a vaccine. So he was trying to force the government to force needles into your arms, force it into your arms. And, and he said, I could do this power, I could exercise this power without any congressional authority. Think about the eviction moratorium. You remember that eviction moratorium that, that President Biden himself said the president doesn't have the constitutional authority to do until St. Louis's own Congresswoman Cori Bush camped out on Capitol Hill with a lazy boy, a bag of Doritos, and live streaming on Facebook to try to shame Biden into the eviction moratorium. And when you say the eviction moratorium, you know, that sounds like an interesting term, but literally here's what that was. It was the federal government saying, if you own property and you own rental property and the people who are renting your house aren't paying, the people who are renting an apartment from you aren't paying the rent, you cannot kick them out. In other words, that's practically a government takeover of the rental housing business with no congressional authority of any kind. And, of course, that went up to the Supreme Court, and, of course, it got struck down, as did the, uh, the vaccine mandate. 
as did so many other things. I mean, Biden's track record at the Supreme Court is is about the same as the Kansas City Royals in Major League Baseball. All right. Pretty poor. Uh, In fact, I think the Royals are doing a whole lot better than President Biden uh, when it comes to Biden at the Supreme Court. But just those things give you an example of how the current presidency is too powerful. Now, unfortunately, for many folks in this country, they want, and whether you're on the right or the left, too many folks want the power of the presidency to be dependent on whether my person is in the White House, okay? If, if it's an R in the White House, then I'm all for a strong presidency. If it's a D in the White House, then, then the president should be powerless. Or vice versa. If we, have a, a, if we have a D in the White House, my goodness, he or she should be very powerful and vice versa. So, uh, But I don't look at it that way because when I was in law school and studying the, the framers uh, and the founders even, that they uniquely recognized, particularly the, the founders, when you go back to uh, the Declaration of Independence, they uniquely understood because they lived through the, the, uh, almost the terrorism of having a chief executive being the king that could make the rules at whim. And they understood uniquely that that absolute power or that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. They lived that. They understood that. And so the concept, the genius of our form of government is that there are checks and balances, that that one branch can't do anything without a check and a balance from another branch of government. But when you look at it today, the, the White House, the the presidency has gotten to be so powerful, and, and in part because Congress itself has allowed that to happen. There, there, time after time, uh, the Congress has ceded, has transferred its own authority to the White House and, uh, and done so because then Congress can be kind of like, uh, if you right now, I, I tell this to my wife often, one of the main paragraphs of the husband's handbook is that if you screw something up, you won't have to be asked to do it again. And so to some extent, uh, Congress has said, well, we're going we're gonna to let the president screw that up just so we don't get asked to do it. Uh, and we're going to let the presidency handle that. And, and yet that's not the genius of our country. That's not the, the, how our framers envisioned this idea of checks and balances. But there, there is some evidence that I think Americans are really tired of what we've, what we've come to see in this powerful presidency. But again, unfortunately, that's only when their, their party is out of power because I mean, presidents are not saints. Presidents are not monarchs. Presidents are not celebrities. And you know what? Contrary to what you hear so often from the president, whomever he or in the future she may be, the president is not your friend. The president is an executive leader and an, an employee of this country. And that's a person whose job responsibilities have been, should be, and should always be limited in terms of the size and the scope of their powers. And, and here's a great example. Uh, starting tomorrow, starting tomorrow, the uh, Supreme Court's going to start a string of oral arguments. 
over the next two weeks. And one of the cases, in fact, I'm going to talk about two of those here in this segment. But but the first of those two cases that's going to come up within the next two weeks is uh, is something called Section 230. And I'm actually going to change gears here because I want to talk about the second one first, and that's student debt forgiveness. This is something that I've been following uh, since the beginning from a legal perspective. I put my legal hat on and I analyze this from a legal perspective. And legally, the president does not have the authority to wave his hand and magically make debts disappear. First of all, it's not forgiveness of debt. It's a transfer of debt. It's a transfer of debt from the individuals who incurred that debt to you and I and every single taxpayer in this country. That's what it is. So whenever the the mainstream media or the president uses the term uh, student loan forgiveness, eh, that's a lie. It's not forgiveness. It's a transfer. But secondly, the, the, the legal foundation demonstrates this entire idea that I've been trying to get across to you this segment, and that is that the presidency is too powerful. Because Congress, technically, the president can only do what Congress allows him to do under the power of the purse. And yet Congress has not given uh, the president of the United States the legal authority to simply, by a whim, magically make $20,000 of student loan debt disappear from every borrower. They, They haven't done that. So we have a president who's exercising power that he was not given. And folks, there's a term for that. It's called tyranny. Tyranny is a word that means the exercise of undelegated power. And so if the president doesn't have the power to eliminate student loans, then by definition, that act is tyranny. And we have it. And there's something called the HEROES Act of 2003 that the president is pointing to. But but there's two big flaws with that. We're going to have to go to a break here in just a moment. But there's two flaws with that. First of all, the first flaw is is that it's dependent upon being in the midst of a national crisis. And the president himself has said the COVID pandemic is over. So we're not in a period of crisis. But secondly, when you look at the HEROES Act of 2003, nothing, it's supposed to be for the military, nothing in the HEROES Act has anything to do with magically eliminating the student debt of millions of Americans. And yet that's exactly what the president is trying to do. Why? Because the power of the presidency is too strong. And, uh, and, and just like the eviction moratorium, just like the vaccine mandate, I promise you that in this area, the Supreme Court will once again, once again, strike down President Biden's actions as being unconstitutional. He may be the most unconstitutional acting president since FDR himself. And we will certainly see that in the coming months. Hey, we're going to have to take a break here. Uh, Coming up after the break, tax season's right here. It's on us. And and the upstaffed IRS is coming after you. So we'll discuss this next with the Heritage Foundation on 97.1 FM Talk. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. 
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Sometimes you need a change of pace. That includes your finances. Get smart with your budgeting with financial tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's trusted experts will set future you up for success by untangling today's web of financial misinformation. Learn about smart investing strategies, tax planning pointers, and travel tips to save on a fun family getaway. Maybe somewhere tropical? Spring ahead for smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young sitting in today. And as I mentioned before the break, it's tax season. And the IRS has a new $80 billion slush fund at its disposal, uh, thanks to the misnamed Inflation Reduction Act, which was signed into law last August. The question is, how will this slush fund at the IRS, how will this impact you? So joining us is Preston Brashers, a senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation who focuses on tax policy. Hey, Preston, welcome to 97.1 FM Talk St. Louis. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, The White House and Treasury officials told us that this infusion of cash was necessary to enable the IRS to go after uh, two categories, rich tax evaders and corporations. But is that actually what this slush fund money will be used for, going after the rich and corporations? Well, that's certainly not the only thing it's going to be used for. And, and I think the IRS, uh, the IRS's own data kind of backs up that there just simply wasn't enough uh, rich taxpayers and large corporations underpaying their taxes to, to come up with the types of revenues that they were talking about raising. So the truth of the matter is that they're going to be creative and they're going to find ways to raise more taxes from from everyday taxpayers, small businesses, and and well, what, what I think we're going to be talking about today, uh, waiters and waitresses. Yeah, and to me, this is this is a, amazing, Preston, because how many times have we heard President Biden say that no one making under $400,000 per year would see any change in their taxes? And yet it looks like the IRS is going after waiters and waitresses for tip money. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Are waiters and waitresses making more than $400,000 a year? My goodness, I'm going to change careers. I'm just a lowly attorney during my day job, but I may have to change professions if if uh, if waiters and waitresses are making four hundred k. Yeah, who knew it was such a lucrative business? I, I didn't know Jeff Bezos had, had a side gig as a, as a waiter. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah. tell us about this so, idea that, that the IRS is literally targeting tip money as a way to increase revenue. Yeah. Well, and, and so, so the IRS is, has pointed to this in the past. They've, they've said that they think about 10% of underreported income uh, for the income tax, individual income tax is coming from, from tip income. And so obviously most tip income is things like, you know, waiters and waitresses, bartenders, barbers, um, and, and, and not the, the big guys as, the, as they always want to talk about. Uh, and so, so, uh, the, you know, I think that your actions speak louder than words. And so obviously they've, they've talked a lot about going after the big guys. Um, but, but the truth of the matter is, 
a lot of their numbers pointed to to a different reality that that if they wanted to collect more, they were going to have to look for for things that were not necessarily the, the the big guys that they've been referring to. Yeah, and you mentioned something very interesting. I want to circle back to, and that is that there's there's not enough uh, rich people in America who are cheating on their taxes uh, to generate the kind of revenue they're looking for. And if you if you see an interview with AOC or uh, or any of the progressive left, and again, I'm being redundant and repetitive when I say that, but if you look at their positions, it looks like they're always accusing the rich of not paying their fair share. Uh, but really, the only way to generate more revenue by the IRS is, in fact, to go after lower and middle income Americans, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is they're, they're, they, they want to, when, when you're looking to drum up more revenue for the IRS, it's not a very good PR move to go after the the 98% of Americans that don't don't make more than $400,000. And so what do they do? They, they they make it sound like they can do all this on the backs of 2% of people. Um, but the but the numbers don't really show that they can do that. The tr- the truth of the matter is uh all, the the high income big corporations are already subjected to pretty high audit rates. I'm not saying that there's not some cheating there that there's not some some non-compliance there. Uh but 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 the numbers show that in fact Small businesses, in particular, I think are going to take it on the chin here because if you look at the IRS's own numbers, the self-employed, uh, small non-corporate businesses, they account for eight times as much of the supposed tax gap as the the corporations do. Um, so their numbers just never never spoke in you know, never never backed up their claims that they could do this all on the backs of the rich. Right, and, and when you say uh, that that there's this target that the IRS has painted. On self-employed Americans and non-corporate small businesses, uh, that's really like it's like mom and pop stores. We're talking about Uber drivers and the gig economy, uh, uh, small businesses that might be family-run businesses. Certainly not businesses that are generating enormous amounts of income. So once again, it brings us back to this idea, doesn't it, uh, Preston? That that the IRS is going to be targeting people who are making less, and in, in most instances far less than that $400,000 threshold that he likes to tout. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other thing we were talking about is less than two months ago was was Venmo transactions. And if you had more than $600 uh, on Venmo or or maybe some, some sales on eBay that, that accounted for more than $600, now they were changing the reporting thresholds so that that, that was going to be swept up under the 299K reporting thresholds. And look, we can have a discussion about whether this is the appropriate thing or to do or not. But my biggest thing here was just the the, the bait and switch here, that, that it was that it was sold as one thing. It was sold yes. as this is all going to be a, uh, targeted at the rich. Um, and, and then what do they turn around to do? And they're absolutely it didn't take them very long at all. And we're already seeing different ways that that, of course, they're going to put more scrutiny. They have all these additional resources. They're going to they're going to be doing something. And one of the things that that, that all these new auditors that they have is this, they're they're applying more scrutiny to waiters, waitresses, Uber drivers, you name it. Wow, we're we're talking to Preston Brashers, a senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, and he focuses on tax policy. That's why I wanted to to talk to him today, as uh, tax season is is right around the corner. And and Preston in the animal kingdom, okay, predators typically go after prey that can't fight back. And is that the same principle at work here? When the IRS goes after lower-income Americans who cannot afford to hire expensive uh, attorneys and tax advisors like the wealthy and like corporations can do? 
Yeah, I, I think there is uh, that that certainly happens. You know, one of the things that you, you'll, you'll see um, there, there's a one, one of the things that the, they were very careful about the Treasury Department and, and the IRS and the, the White House. They were careful to say to point out that they weren't going to raise audit rates uh, on people making less than four hundred thousand dollars, and that was that was their big line. And I think that they were very intentional about how they were they were phrasing that uh, because you can not necessarily raise the audit rates on a group of people, but you can still increase the the, the pain and the scrutiny on the, that group of people in lots of different ways. And so, um, so one of the things that they might do is they might send out. Um, send out letters about a, a discrepancy that they see, but they're not going to count that letter that they're sending out to that, that small taxpayer that doesn't have a high price lawyer or accountant working for them to help them to, to fight it off. And, and it's essentially it, to them, to a lot of people, it feels like a shakedown where you see this number, and you know, it's going to cost you more to fight it than to, to, than to just go ahead and pay it. Sure. And so that's what a lot of people, people end up doing. And so, yeah, I mean, that, there, there is certainly that, that element that, but a lot of small guys, they just don't have the resources to, mm. to, to fight back. That, that's true. And you mentioned the audit rates, and I want to come back to that. I did a little research today, Preston, and a few years ago, ProPublica analysis found that someone making $20,000 a year was far more likely to be audited than a person making 400000 So I, I got into the number. Here are the numbers. In 2020, uh, out of every 1,000 tax returns by millionaires, Two were audited. Two millionaires out of every 1,000 uh, millionaires, two were audited. But for every uh, 1,000 low-income wage earner tax returns, uh, or sub, you know, obviously a lower amount, 7.9% were audited. So why doesn't President Biden's own party, who claims to represent the poor and the working-class Americans, why don't why, why don't they call out President Biden on this obvious focus of the IRS when even the audit rate is so much higher for lower income Americans than it is for higher income Americans? Yeah. And uh, like I said, I think that the actions speak louder than words. And there, and there is there is certainly uh, what you end up seeing, actually, with with audit rates is the very low end. You see very, very high audit rates. And then at the, as you get to the, the very high end, you see, see it increase. So it's a little bit of a U shape. Uh, so in the middle, it's a little bit less. A part of that is, is going to come down to things like uh, earned income tax credits, some of the refundable credits that they're sending out. There's some fraud that happens there. And so that leads to a little bit of that, a little bit of what you're seeing there. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I think it's it's absolutely the IRS's track record does not suggest um, that if you give them a, a lot of additional resources, that they can just funnel all that into uh, into taxing the very rich. And and like I said, I, I simply don't think that the numbers, their numbers, don't don't suggest that there is enough there there for them to 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 raise the types of revenues that they've been talking about. So they really do have to to go where they think that that, that there is um, some. Uh, I really cast a wide net, and it's going yes. to catch, catch a lot of folks in it that are not the, that top two percent. Right, and there's just not a wide net when it comes to the number of <clears throat> millionaires in this country. Uh, we're talking to uh, Preston Brashers, senior policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, who focuses on tax policy. And you mentioned the earned income tax credit, and to me, I, I always think this has been disingenuous of the IRS because. The Earned Income Tax Credit, which is a, a program that benefits lower-income Americans, it's complicated. It's complex. 
And when you're talking about lower income Americans who can't afford maybe to hire a professional tax preparer to do their taxes, of course, they're going to make mistakes when it comes to how you calculate the earned income tax credit. And then these people who actually need it are the first ones to get spanked when they do it incorrectly. But uh, anyway, I'll get off that soapbox because I want to ask you a question. We've talked about this $80 billion in new funding from the uh, totally misnamed Inflation Reduction Act. What's that money going to be used for when you just give the IRS this enormous infusion of cash? What are they going to use it for? Well, you can look at the, the numbers, and, and of that $80 billion, there was about $46 billion that was specifically earmarked for enforcement. And then you had some, somewhere in the neighborhood of about $3 billion, I think, that was, that was, that was paid for uh, taxpayer services. Um, and, then, and then a lot of this is kind of operation support that can kind of, that's going to support the, the whole apparatus there. Um, so, but, but you can just look at that number, that 46 versus three, and you can see that uh, there was a, a, a huge emphasis on, on things like auditing, things like asset monitoring. Um, and, and, and to me, I think really what the, what, if the IRS wants, wants to do the, the, the best job and, and, and fulfill its obligation to the American people the best possible way, is they, they want to encourage voluntary compliance. And you encourage voluntary compliance when you have the public's trust. And when you can pick up the phone call, pick up the phone, get someone on the IRS on the line to answer your questions, I think that's going to go a lot further towards ensuring the, the type of compliance that they want to see, that we all want to see. I think, I think most of us want people to be honest on their taxes. Um, and I think the way to do that is, you know, an ounce of, of prevention is, is worth a, a pound of cure in terms of, of, rate of ensuring compliance with, with the, our tax obligations. Well, and, and when you talk about uh, ensuring compliance with our tax obligations, Preston, uh, here's what comes to my mind. When, when you get the big statements from, and we always see this, whenever some, and it's usually a conservative, who, who pays very little in taxes, and we get howls and protests from the left and from the mainstream media. But by and large, most of those instances those individuals are actually complying with the laws. So don't we have two different issues here? We have what are the tax laws in this country, number one, and number two, are people complying with it? But just because someone uh, who uh, is a millionaire and may pay zero in taxes, if they're actually following the tax law, they're actually being compliant, aren't they? Yeah, and that's an absolutely great point there, uh, that whenever we're talking about the tax gap, what exactly do you mean by the tax gap? It kind of assumes that there is a correct amount that we all understand that it's, it's well, well agreed to. But the fact of the matter is the tax code is enormously, enormously complex. And so you're going to have, there's unfortunately a lot of uh, complicated things that are in the tax code that people that, that know the tax system well, that they can take advantage of. And so I think that's a little bit of, of what you're, what, what this disconnect that you see is, is that that there's there's two different questions here. There is there is that question of what is your legal what are you legally obligated to pay, and then um, and and then this question of what how much are you able to take advantage of of of, of the deductions and credits that are available to you. And 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 really, what we should, a big part of what we should be talking about here is just tax simplification. If we had a simpler system, yes. you're, there's going to be so much less of this that we're going to have to argue about. And, and look, there's, 
there's there's reasons to think that there's there are problems with with different parts of 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 how much this person over here is paying or this group over here is paying. If we had a simple system, it would be so much easier for us to all just get it done, pay what we owe, and then be done with it. And and that simpler system, at least from my perspective, and correct me if you think differently, but that simpler system would simply be a flat tax where everyone pays the same amount. That way, the the rich who make more money would pay far more in taxes, but even those who earn a little bit of money would still have some skin in the game and would still pay something towards taxes. Wouldn't that be a far simpler system? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I mean, we, we have more credits and deductions and exemptions that, that, that carve little pieces out that, again, if, you, if you're well-connected, if you have the right the right lawyers and accountants that you that you can take advantage of that it's, it's all in there it's in the tax code you're you're not breaking the laws um, but but you're right I think a flat a flat tax system um, obviously we want to have some uh, some exemption and, and some 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 uh, advantage for people that are at the very bottom you don't want to be you know taxing people that are impoverished at the same same rate you allow some level of exemption um, in there. Um, we have those things in the, the tax system as it is, but there's absolutely no reason to have the level of complexity that we have. Uh, I think moving to a simpler, flatter system is it would be beneficial in, in a lot of ways, both economically, save us time in terms of, of all the, t- the compliance that goes into yes. filing our taxes every year. Um, I think there's just a lot to be said for, for, for proposals down that, down that route. Oh, I completely agree. Uh, Preston Brashers, if, if folks want to keep track of this particular issue and what you write also as well on this issue along with other tax-related issues, how can folks follow you online? Uh, well, you can go to my website at, uh, Preston, uh, at www.heritage.org slash staff and just look up Preston Brashears. That's spelled B-R-A-S-H-E-R-S. Very good. And uh, Preston, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk St. Louis. Thank you. Great talking to you, sir. And I always love this. I get I get folks because I, I, I enjoy talking about tax policy because it's a big idea. And I always love it when people call up and say, Brad, the rich in this country are not paying their fair share. Two things come to mind. First of all, I always point out that the top 5% of wage earners pay 50% of all taxes. The top 5% of wage earners pay 50% of all taxes. How is that not a fair share? And number two, when I get those phone calls, I always ask the same question. You can do the same thing. Define for me what is a fair share. Just tell me, what's a fair share? How much should the rich be paying? You just tell me what that number is, and we'll pay it. And the left will never define that number for you because they want a situation where the goalposts are constantly moving. Because if they define, well, I think uh, 30% of your income should be taxed. Okay, great. And then once you comply with that 30%, they say, well, now we need 40%. So, and during the John F. Kennedy years in the 1960s, the top tax rate, the top marginal tax rate in this country was 70, 70%. How does that stifle, how does that stifle enterprise? How does that stifle in, in uh, uh, basically companies taking a risk, inventing new ideas, creating businesses? How does that stifle innovation? If you have a 70% tax bracket, it's crippling is what it is. And yet the left in this country today will not define what is that 
fair share. Just try it. If you have a conversation with someone and and they're you know they're the kind that's a, a a Bernie Sanders supporter, just ask them what is the fair share that Americans should be paying in tax. No one, and I promise you, no one will give you an answer to that question because they want the moving goalposts to keep moving. Hey, Brad Young sitting in for Mark Reardon today. Coming up after the break, there's a new emphasis on finding out the origins of COVID. Believe it or not, we're going to have some analysis and update on that right here on the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young in for Mark on 97.1 FM Talk. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we are all realizing that the quality of our air, especially our indoor air, is really darn important. In 30 minutes, Puro Air will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to the Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young in with you this afternoon. Thanks for sticking around. Mark should be back in the saddle uh, tomorrow. But in the meantime, I'll be in, obviously, until 6 o'clock today. And and I wanted to get to this COVID origins story because going back January of 2020, uh, the at the time where the, we first heard about COVID, very first, the very first moment I heard about COVID, I said to my wife, wait, this is a this is a coronavirus that's coming out of Wuhan, China. And I'm pretty sure that there is a Wuhan Institute of Virology that studies coronaviruses. And I said to my wife, I promise you that 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 this coronavirus has to have something to do with that institute in Wuhan, China, because it's just too coincidental otherwise. And and as as we learned, once the Biden administration started literally conspiring with the tech companies, if if you said on Facebook or Twitter or even on YouTube that the coronavirus was leaked from a Chinese lab in Wuhan, China, if you said that, you were kicked off of social media. 
you were censored. Your speech was censored. And you and, and I know right now you may be saying, Brad, private industry can't censor your speech. Private industry doesn't have to follow the First Amendment. Shazam, welcome to your first year of law school. That's correct. But when you have the government working in concerted, coordinated efforts with the tech company to deprive you of your freedom of speech, then yes, it implicates the First Amendment. Just like, for example, under the Fourth Amendment, you have a constitutional right to to not have your private information searched by the government unless the government has a warrant. But if the government wants to get around this, and there's so much case law on this, the government, the police can't come to uh, to your house. Let's say, for example, you run a business and you have a security guard at your place of business and the government, the FBI doesn't have a search warrant to search your place of business. If the FBI comes up and goes to the security guard and says, hey, buddy, psst, come here. Uh, listen, here's a hundred bucks. Don't tell anybody where you got it from, but I want you to go in and grab this folder out of this drawer, this filing cabinet on the third floor of this company business, and I want you to bring it to me. If that happens, that violates the Fourth Amendment search and seizure provisions because the security guard is working at the direction of the government, and if the government doesn't have a search warrant, they cannot bypass or evade the Fourth Amendment simply by paying a security guard 100 bucks to do what the FBI cannot do in the absence of a warrant. And yet that's the exact situation that we have right now with the federal government when it comes to censoring speech particularly with the origins of COVID. So the, the, the House of Representatives is now launching an investigation into how the coronavirus got started. But the best analysis that I've heard comes from John Stewart, who said this about the origins of COVID. There's, there's a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but, I'm, I don't, so, I, 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 oh my if God. there's evidence, I'd love to hear it. There's I don't a know. novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just, that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then they I, ask I, those scientists, they're like, how did this, so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan respiratory coronavirus lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. And you're like, no, I, you, you, the wait, name wait, of your lab, wait. if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and... Then it sneezed into my chili, and now we all have coronavirus. Like, come on. Okay, wait, okay, a, wait, okay. A, wait a second. Wait a what second. about this? What about wait this? Listen to this. Wait a second. All right. John. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a s- steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory maybe that's it that could be
That is some of the best analysis that I've heard of the origins of COVID. And yet, if you said that on social media in 2021, you were censored by agents working at the direction of the federal government. Now, here's the other angle that I think is fascinating, is that the World Health Organization has canceled, canceled their investigation. Why? Because China objected. So China objects to the investigation, and the World Health Organization says, oh, my goodness, if you object, then we can't make you angry, Xi Jinping. So we'll just back off and just forget about how this thing got started. I hope, I hope that the Republicans get to the bottom of this in their investigation. Brad Young, sitting in for Mark Reardon this afternoon. We've got more in the next hour on 97.1 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Toyota, let's go places. Nerds! Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to level up your financial game? Let NerdWallet guide you with smart strategies for lasting success. Get savvy tax planning pointers to maximize your savings, money-saving travel tips for your next family getaway, and investing insights like how a 529 plan can help you send your kids to college. Unlock the key to saving to help you earn more money. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app future you will thank you in 2024.